bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 7th, 2020. I hope that you and your family are safe and well, and I hope that you enjoyed the 4th of July holiday. At Novogratik, we are in our 17th week since we implemented our firm-wide mandate to work from home. While a few offices have begun carefully and slowly reopening, most of our team continues to work from home. Novograd continues to serve our clients, and we thank you for allowing us to do so. A lot has happened since our last podcast, which means we have a lot of important news to report this week. For starters, the IRS released much-awaited and much-anticipated COVID-19 relief measures for low-income housing tax credit properties. We also saw the Joint Community Taxation release revenue scores for the Moving Forward Act. These revenue scores will play a central role in determining which tax provisions have the greatest possibility of becoming law. Also, since the last podcast, in a somewhat surprise move, Congress passed and the President signed an extension of the Paycheck Protection Program. And wait, there is more. I'm going to finish up with highlights from the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition's annual report on the New Market Tax Credit and positive state-level news about funding for the Rhode Island State Historic Tax Credit and for the California State Low-Income Housing Tax Credit. If you're ready, let's get started. The IRS provided some welcome relief last week for low-income housing tax credit developers, owners, and investors, which, most importantly, means welcome news for current and future residents of affordable housing tax credit properties. The IRS also provided welcome relief for housing agencies. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, there have been many delays in the construction of affordable housing during the pandemic. Many construction sites themselves have been shut down, many construction workers have been unavailable, and there have been problems with supply chains. These issues and more have made it difficult to stay on originally planned construction and place and service schedules. That this IRS guidance that was just released helps owners and others address these issues. Now, to be more specific, the guidance from the IRS, issued as Notice 2020-53, provides relief in four areas affected by COVID-19. Deadline extensions are the first and perhaps the most important area of last week's guidance. The IRS delayed several deadlines until December 31, 2020. That's if those deadlines originally fell between April 1st and the end of the year. All of those deadlines have been moved to December 31. The affected deadlines include the 10% deadline, the 24-month minimum rehabilitation expenditure period, and others. Now, my colleagues Thomas Stagg and Mark Shelburne did write a blog post with the details of these extensions. I'll share the link to that blog post in today's show notes and send it out on Twitter. But the important thing is that those significant deadlines are all extended to the end of this year. That's helpful for anyone who is worried about making those deadlines while struggling with problems posed by the pandemic. Now, everyone has until the end of the year, so that is very good news. But before we move on to the other areas where the IRS provided guidance, I want to briefly address a deadline that wasn't delayed by the IRS. That's the requirement for properties that received a carrier allocation agreement in 2018 to be placed in service by the end of this year. There was no relief for that in Notice 2020-53. This means if you have a 2018 carrier allocation, your property still must generally be placed in service by December 31 of this year in order to be eligible for low-income housing tax credits. I say generally because that's unless the allocating agency grants an extension under prior disaster-related guidance. The IRS didn't provide universal relief on the place and service deadline, 
Now, we think that that's likely because they didn't believe they had the authority to extend those deadlines past December 31st and that the state agencies did. Now, back to the relief. Like I said earlier, there were four areas of guidance provided by the IRS. The first was the deadline extensions. The second area is compliance. The IRS notice said that owners of low-income housing tax credit properties do not, that's right, do not need to perform income recertifications from April 1 to the end of this year. The IRS also said that allocating agencies do not have to conduct compliance monitoring inspections or reviews. Again, that's from April 1 through December 31 of this year, 2020. The third area of guidance clarified that closing a common area or an amenity does not result in a reduction of eligible basis. Again, that's for the same period, April 1 through the end of this year. In other words, if your local housing tax credit property had to close a community room due to COVID-19, you can still count that space's eligible basis for tax credits for this year. So there is relief from deadlines in compliance and in common areas. The fourth area of guidance was a clarification that medical personnel or essential workers classify or qualify as displaced persons under IRS guidance issued in 2014. This allows those workers to live in local housing tax credit properties. Now, some of these provisions, this, this relief, might sound familiar. Our low-income housing tax credit working group sent a letter to the IRS back in May asking for many of these provisions. Now, the IRS did not grant everything that the working group sought, but the IRS did address most of the issues. We join other stakeholders in thanking the IRS for this guidance. This guidance comes after the IRS previously provided similar relief for the new markets tax credit, opportunity zones incentive, and renewable energy tax credits. Now, COVID-19 relief was not the only guidance issued by the IRS on Wednesday of last week relating to low-income housing tax credits. The other guidance addressed a physical inspection requirement or the inspection requirements for housing credit agencies. Now, you may remember, the IRS issued final regulations in 2019 that changed how many units housing agencies must inspect. The regulations required that agencies inspect the number of units listed in a minimum unit sample size reference chart. Now, before this reference chart, housing finance agencies had the option of inspecting 20% of the units or the minimum sample size. Agencies could inspect whichever was less. But the final regulations issued in 2019 said housing agencies had to inspect the number in the chart, which was often more than 20%, sometimes far greater. For many agencies, that was a huge increase, particularly for agencies that had to inspect many smaller properties. Well, the IRS received a lot of feedback on the issue, and last week issued an advanced copy of its proposed regulations. The proposed regulations will go back to the old standard. That's a relief, which means the lesser of the two numbers, the chart number or 20%. Now, this is good news for housing agencies who can now return to the previous system of inspecting properties. The IRS guidelines that were released will allow agencies to rely on this guidance retroactively back to February 26, 2019. This means that the previous regulations that were issued on February 26, 19 really never took effect. So if an agency never made the change to the 2019, the agency would not be in violation of those final regulations. This reversal is good for property owners as well, as this likely means they'll have to arrange physical inspections of fewer units. Now, there's a lot to unpack with the the COVID-19 guidance and these changes in inspection regulations, which means if you have any questions, which you likely may, As to how this updated information applies to your property, please call a Novogratic office near you. We can help you adjust your timeline and keep your property on track. And if you had a carryover allocation of 2018 and want some guidance on finishing for the end of the year, 
or seeking extensions from your state agency, check with us too. I will share the IRS notice on COVID-19 in the advanced copy of the proposed regulations in today's show notes and tweet it out as well. Also, we will be talking about these provisions in the next two Novogratic 2020 Affordable Housing Friday forums. The next one is Friday, July 10th. That's this Friday. The second one is the following week, Friday, July 17th. We also have a property compliance workshop. It's coming up August 11th, where details of both sets of guidance will be discussed. A link to register for the property compliance workshop is also included in today's show notes. Now, in other news, the House of Representatives last week passed the Moving Forward Act. This legislation, as you know from prior podcasts, addresses the low income housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, historic tax credit, and renewable energy tax credits, in addition to a number of infrastructure matters. I'm not going to go into all the details here because we've discussed them in previous podcast episodes. There were, though, a couple of notable changes in the manager's amendment to the bill. First, the increase in private activity bond allocation was reduced from a 25% increase to a 10% increase. And second, the effective date provisions were made slightly broader for the minimum 4% local housing tax credit percentage, as well as the 50% test changes. I'll share a link to a blog post in today's show notes and send it out on Twitter that offers a deep dive on the provisions in case you want to review them more closely again. But last week's passage was a significant step. That is even though the Senate is extremely unlikely to even take up discussion of the bill this year. The passage is significant because passing the House, this bill passing the House, is a signal of the priorities of Democrats in that chamber. That they passed a bill that's so favorable for community development, affordable housing, and rural energy is important particularly because we have a general election in November and we could see changes in the power balance in Congress. But the bill passage was also important, partly because the Joint Committee on Taxation issued its scorecard for the bill. That's important because knowing these figures, the scores, makes it easier to get provisions introduced as part of other legislation, even other legislation this year, the next few weeks, or towards the end of the year. With the JCT score, Joint Committee on Taxation score, legislators can address the cost and benefit of provisions using real numbers, numbers from the JCT at least. Now, there's a full list of the JCT scores, but I just want to touch upon a couple of top-line numbers. First, the overall cost of the bill from 2020 through 2030 is about $1.5 trillion. And all of the housing tax provisions, the local housing tax credit provisions plus the proposed neighborhood homes investment tax credit, cost $88.7 billion. And more specifically, the cost of establishing a minimum 4% low income housing tax credit percentage is $7.5 billion. That, of course, is a provision that affordable housing stakeholders hope to see included in legislation this year. I'll share the link to all the JCD scores in today's show notes so you can look at the other numbers. And earlier, I did mention that we have these upcoming Novogratic 2020 Affordable Housing Friday forums. We'll continue to discuss the provisions of the Moving Forward Act there. In other Washington news, legislative news, both the Senate and the House passed legislation last week to extend the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. President Trump signed the bill into law last Saturday. Now, the extension was a bit of a surprising development. The program was scheduled to close applications on June 30th, last Tuesday. However, the Senate and the House each passed an extension until August 8th which means PPP applications are alive for another month. And we've talked about the PPP a lot over the past several months. As you know, the PPP is a major federal initiative to help fund businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic through forgivable loans. 
The PPP was created in March as part of a much larger economic relief response, the so-called CARES Act. The goal of the PPP was to keep workers employed and to help businesses survive the crisis. Last month, the PPP Flexibility Act was signed into law and made some changes to the program. The legislation extended the covered expense period. That's the period during which forgivable expenses can be incurred. The bill also reduced the payroll threshold for loan forgiveness. More than 4.8 million businesses have received about $520 billion in potentially forgivable loans through the PPP. Now, the deadline is extended through August 8th, and there's about $140 billion left in available funding. Now, the PPP was funded at $659 billion, minus the $520 billion in loans already awarded. If you're interested in a PPP loan, or if you want assistance documenting your business's need for a loan and use of loan proceeds to pay forgiveness eligible expenses, then I'd encourage you to contact Novogradic's Megan Murphy. Her contact information is included in today's show notes. Now, let's shift gears with a report from the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition, a report that helps make the case for New Markets Tax Credit permanency. Last week, Wednesday to be exact, the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition released the 2020 New Markets Tax Credit Progress Report. This annual progress report is based on a survey of community development entities or CDEs. This year, 65 CDEs reported using $2.7 billion in New Markets Tax Credit allocation in 2019. That $2.7 billion was used to finance 288 investments, the CDE's report having served 1.7 million people. And the CDE said that their financing resulted in more than 57,000 jobs. New market tax credit's impressive record is important to note as lawmakers consider extending the incentive beyond the 2020 allocation round. I'll include a link to the full report in today's show notes. Next, I have two state-level news announcements. First, Rhode Island's State Historic Tax Credit. The state budget bill reappropriated $5 million for the State Historic Tax Credit. Rhode Island needed that appropriation to keep the credit funded. Now, if you're in Rhode Island and you have questions about the State Historic Tax Credit, please reach out to my partner, Tony Grapponi. I'll include his contact information in today's show notes. And my other bit of state news, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the 2021 state budget bill last week. That bill included an extra $500 million in funding for state local housing tax credits. Now, California's previous budget bill approved the extra $500 million in local housing tax credits, but only if the state legislature appropriated the funds. Now, we officially know they're appropriated. Importantly, the budget also exempts state local housing tax credits from the general $5 million per investor cap limit that applies to other state business tax credits. Now, if you're interested in applying for California state and local housing tax credits, check in with the Novogratic office for assistance. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. Before I close, I want to give you a quick reminder that the first of our two summer virtual conferences is next week. The Novogratic 2020 Opportunity Zones Virtual Conference is Wednesday, July 15th. You're not going to miss the keynote address from Senator Tim Scott. He's the author of the original Opportunity Zones legislation. I'll also moderate a one-on-one discussion with Daniel Kowalski, who is Counselor to Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. And my Washington Report panel will feature Alfonso Costa Jr. of HUD, Emily Lavery from the Office of Senator Scott, and Chad Maisel from the Office of Senator Cory Booker. Again, that's next Wednesday, July 15th. 
And then eight days later, on Thursday, July 23rd, we're holding our Novogratic 2020 New Markets Tax Credit Virtual Conference. At our New Markets Conference, we'll welcome House Ways and Means Committee Chairman and longtime New Markets Tax Credit Champion, Richard Neal. The conference also will feature a Q&A panel with representatives from the agency that oversees the New Markets Tax Credit, the CDFI Fund. Both the Opportunity Zones and New Markets Tax Credit Conferences will feature the types of engaging discussions you can expect from Novogratic events. But this summer, you can participate from your home or office. There will be live question and answer sessions and some special Opportunities Network. We already have hundreds of virtual attendees registered for each conference. There will be many networking opportunities. Now, many listeners have already registered, but if you haven't, there's still room for you. I do hope you'll join us. I'll include the links to register in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.